Welcome to this special banking edition of Talk Commerce, where we explore how merchants, agencies, and developers experience commerce and the communities they work and live in. This week, we interview Courtney Taylor and Jeff Campbell with Fidelity Bank in Minneapolis. Courtney tells us how she's the matchmaker of the banking business. We learn how peer groups will help every entrepreneur succeed in their business. We talk about how important it is for your banker to know your business And as a business owner, you are not just a number. We talk about the trends in the banking industry and how they relate to commerce. We dive into a lot of great subjects that business owners should know and should do with their bank. We wrap things up with why it's so important that every business owner understands cash flow and how to explain that to their banker. This episode was recorded on August 16th, 2021. And today's free joke. Many software engineers are single because they prefer to leave the relations to the databases. The Talk Commerce podcast is sponsored by SwiftDotter. E-commerce developers solve problems daily. In fact, some of those seem like mountainous hurdles that must be climbed in a matter of hours. Stress levels can go through the roof. No wonder the plague of burnout affects developers too. Ah, but there's a vaccine for that. Investing time in your career will take you farther than you ever imagined. Meet Swift Daughter. Swift Daughter exists to help you become the e-commerce hero that is indispensable and irreplaceable at your company. We do this through Magento Certification Study Materials and Joseph Maxwell's most recent book, The Art of E-Commerce Debugging. Go to swiftotter.com to learn more about how you can quickly climb the ranks in your quest to be a better developer. While you're there, use the coupon code TALKCOMMERCE for 15% off any digital goods at swiftdotter.com. My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, Talk Commerce. All right, welcome to this special banking episode of Talk Commerce. Uh, today, I have Jeff Campbell and Courtney Taylor. Jeff and Courtney, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? Tell us about what you do for a, from day to day for your day to day work life, and maybe a little one of your passions. Courtney, go ahead. Thanks, Jeff, and thanks, Brent, so much for having us on today. Um, so, I'm Courtney Taylor. I'm the business development officer here at Fidelity Bank in Edina, Minnesota. Um, I've been here for about four years, and really, I work. Uh, pretty closely with Jeff and the, uh, the other team members on uh, working with small small business owners, entrepreneurs here in this market, um, helping them be a solutions-focused connector for their banking needs. Um, I really do have a passion for building relationships and connecting people. So I'm sticking pretty true to my craft in this role. And I've always been really amazed at uh, what uh, what entrepreneurs come up with, the ideas, how they get uh, in their in their business and their roles. Um, I'm fascinated by their stories. So that's one of my most favorite things about this uh, this job. Thanks, Courtney and Jeff. Yes, thanks, Brent. Jeff Campbell. I've been with uh, Fidelity Bank for a little over twenty years. I'm one of the relationship managers at the bank is how I would how I would describe the role managing accounts and, and trying to add new ones is kind of the basics but we're a commercial bank uh, business to business clientele mainly and some some retail as well and commercial real estate uh, but the you know our target market is 
is really about privately held, closely held, family owned, entrepreneurial type businesses, mostly in the Twin Cities or greater greater metro, some outstate Minnesota. And um, we really work hard to provide consistent delivery, access to decision makers, responsiveness. That's why our clients uh, typically select us. We're one location here in Edina with about 85 employees and, uh, and really feel like we've got a, a, the ability to be responsive and meet our clients' needs. So from a passion, I would, I would, I would echo the, you know, the relationship builder, but also uh, I really try to be a solutions provider or problem solver for my customers. And that could be anything from a day-to-day banking need to a, to a financing need, but more importantly, uh, providing trusted resources through my network to be really a go-to for my clients uh, outside of the day-to-day banking as well. Thanks Great. again. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, so Courtney, you did mention community and then you mentioned something about uh, working with entrepreneurs and getting and dealing with all their different visions and all their ideas. So I, I'm, I, I'm sure you'd be extremely happy not to be inside my head. And, and if you ever talk to our team, knowing how many things go through it, then whatever ends up getting to you, you're probably, it's probably been vetted a few times from any entrepreneur <laughs> not to go through, <laughs> through all that. Um, well, so well, yeah, sometimes, ahead. sometimes it's vetted, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, sometimes it's vetted, right? Exactly. Or sometimes we can be the vetting. Uh, we can help with the vetting. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's very good. Yes, absolutely. Um, let's, let's dive into some topics on, uh, you know, I think today we want to talk about some topics that are, uh, that are directly involved with banking and commerce. Um, and let's, you know, this is mostly e-commerce. We're talking, this world is turned into e-commerce, especially with COVID. Um, what, what are people asking for, for nowadays? If, if there's an, they're an entrepreneur, they're a small business, what do they come to you and what are they looking for? Well, I think, uh, you know, from the, on the day-to-day banking front, you know, I really feel like um, as there's been a trend for uh, towards um, more e-commerce, more remote work, more technology-driven or remote-driven solutions or, or ways of doing business, how that impacts the banking arrangement. Typically, it's it revolves around a couple themes. I think one is going to be uh, security, and the other would be efficiency. I mean, those seem to be the two topics that we're really, um, really honing in on with the client base. Mainly, how can I conduct my uh, my business with the bank, my payment processing, my payments to vendors, my disbursement of payments securely and efficiently, um, because the world is an increasingly you know, dangerous place, it seems like. So the the main point really seems to be more on the security and fraud prevention and what tools, strategies, best practices, um, internal processes that companies can utilize and then leverage any products or services or ideas that the bank has to augment that. And then likewise, the efficiency topic has come up more and more. I think, um, you know, when people were, for example, working remotely and, you know, the identification of maybe some uh, that they didn't have duties as well segregated as perhaps they should. 
or there was not a, there was maybe very little overlap in their in their internal processes and they uh, had to to bolster that with some additional you know technology efficiencies that they could utilize within within their day to day so those have been kind of the trends i think uh, not just in the last year and a half but you know in 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 recent in recent years overall um, but every day the the security fraud prevention seems to be major, major hot button item with the clients. And do you feel as though, because you're a smaller organization, you're able to act to that more agile and, and quicker than maybe a bigger, bigger organization? You know, I hope, I think so. I think the human element is probably the greatest uh, ability for us to help prevent issues for our customers. You know, I think we get to know our clients, maybe try to inform them, educate them a little bit better, but you know, I think when you've got a close knit relationship where you know who you're working with, that can help um, address some vulnerabilities. Uh, you know, we have, you know, countless examples of where someone was trying to do something and send out a payment or something like that. Had it been at a larger, you know, hey, you're just a number type organization versus, uh, you know, versus Fidelity Bank, where we know our clients, where we can call and we can talk to them. Hey, something doesn't look right. Are you sure? You know, so we've 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 certainly uh, had. Hey, we could we could have our own episode talking about some of those um, where we may be a, fortunate to flush them out and uh, mm-hmm. and and hope prevent you know a real problem. So I think so. That, you know, the ability to know who you're working with and the human element is probably as important as anything while utilizing these other tools and, and technology automation, et cetera. And, and Courtney, you mentioned relationships and how you you really strive to build those relationships with uh, with uh, with your clients and potential clients. Maybe speak to why an entrepreneur who's looking to build a relationship with a bank would come to a you know, a medium-sized bank or, you know, a bank like Fidelity, I, I'm not, I don't want to categorize you in any one way, but you're mm-hmm. certainly, you know, not, you know, like a, one of the giant ones, but mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that to, in that relationship standpoint, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Well, I, uh, I think our team at Fidelity is unique in that we all take that holistic relationship focus approach. Um, and so when we, look to build a relationship with an entrepreneur. Oftentimes, um, the types of entrepreneurs that we click with the most are those entrepreneurs that know that they don't know everything. Um, So they do seek out, uh, potentially they're a member of a peer forum or a peer group. Uh, Potentially, they they really seek to um, that trusted advisor relationship of their banker, of their CPA, of a coach, of an attorney. And um, when we're able to identify and then um, capitalize on our value proposition and how we fit into that, uh, it just works out really, really well. Yeah. And, and for full disclosure, I'm an EO and, and you are a, a sponsor of EO Minnesota. So I mm-hmm. thank you very much for that. Um, and f- I, I try to want to try to frame, um, I'll frame the next question in, in just broader sense of a, a bank your size. So for somebody in, you know, San Diego or, 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 or Cleveland, like from a peer group participation standpoint, 
maybe you could speak to the value that that a person would get out of that and also dealing with a bank that has that same mentality. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and I, I guess, let me just rephrase that a little bit that a bank, one of the larger banks wouldn't necessarily care if you're in a peer group and all they, and going back to what Jeff said earlier, you're just a number and really you're just an algorithm that has to correspond to some box. And if you don't, then you're out the door. Um, maybe you could speak to some of the reasons why that peer group participation is important and what do they, what does that mean even a peer group? Mm-hmm. I think Jeff can take this one, even with some uh, real life examples with some of his clients. Right. Well, I th- hey, again, to echo uh, Courtney's comments, we that question comes up when we're trying to characterize what's a, um, you know, who, who is, what's an ideal client for Fidelity? And sometimes we've, you know, we can go through the profiles of the financial metrics, et cetera. But when you get down to it, the personality type of an owner or, or, or a or key manager in a company, the ones that are in a peer group, usually the ones that click for us. I mean, that's just something that we've realized over the years, collaborative approach. They like content. They like to have the um, access to experts in certain fields and they like to network oftentimes. And it's, uh, there's just a personality profile that fits well for that. The, um, you know, the best, the, the best I've heard one describe it, and it happened to be a, a former EO, uh, a former EO uh, member from years ago, just, you know, chatting at an event, you know, how'd you find EO? What got you into EO? And it was a really, he was very uh, truthful response in that he said, you know what, um, I was home one night talking to my wife about something at the business. And she said, you know what, you need to find somebody else to talk to. I can't talk to you every, you know, he needed another outlet or resource or sounding board or ad hoc board of advisors is really what it turns into. And a group of close confidants, personal friends, uh, you know, trusted advisors within your own circle. And, you know, so that's how he just stumbled into it. Others have really given very, you know, moving testimonials about how it changed their life, how they went through a divorce and needed that group to fall back on, for example, or had major business problems and wouldn't have been able to succeed without having an act, you know, access to a, a another group of entrepreneurs that have been through the throes just like they have. So I really feel, um, you know, we found that there's uh, a lot of examples. You can tell that uh, the ones that really get out of it, what they put into it, but there's a passion for that type of um, peer-to-peer, you know, learning, companionship, whatever you want to call it, that I think is, uh, I think it's it's the real thing. Yeah, I, I, one thing that Courtney mentioned earlier too was about that, uh, when they when when an entrepreneur knows when they don't know everything, um, I think the biggest thing for an entrepreneur, or at least a a mature entrepreneur, and I'll put myself in that category. Um, well, no, I won't. Maybe I'm not mature because I don't know everything, but I know that I don't know everything. So you know, I think that just as a message to other entrepreneurs, being open minded and being able to ask those questions, and then you know, putting it back into the, into the banking frame 
of finding out that relationship that makes sense for you. And I can say, you know, way back when, you know, when I first started in, and I'm not going to age myself, but it was in the nineties. So it wasn't in the eighties, but it was in the nineties. And I found a smaller bank and it was great working with that person. And they helped so much more that they were able to work with us and, and knew some of our specific needs that we have in our industry. And I know Courtney even mentioned about making sure that the business knows or the bank knows your business because there's nothing nothing worse than the bank saying you should do this. And you're as an entrepreneur, you're thinking to yourself, really, that makes no sense. Why would I ever do that? Whatever that thing is. Um, like how would you, how do you kind of make sure that, that, and I, Jeff, you had mentioned, make sure that that client is the right fit for you. Well, I think, um, Hey, not everyone is looking for that level of that type of relationship. So it's Mm -hmm. really picking our spots. I think it goes both ways. You know, are you a fit now? We're not, Hey, we don't certainly by any means have, Uh, all the answers, but I think we have an open mind and have access to a lot of uh, really smart people and also create, uh, establish, and it takes time to, you know, to have a relationship and where you can have an honest discussion. And it's not just, you know, a yes man kind of uh, situation. It's more a challenge, challenge back when necessary or question or, uh, identify perhaps something that, that they've been missing. Um, but I think, you know, really it, it comes down to, as you mentioned, getting to know the business and really digging deep. And, uh, you know, we've been very fortunate. Those relationships, that level of intimacy with the business, if you have very little turnover within your relationship manager group, of course, that makes it a lot easier uh, versus a revolving door where you're retraining a banker uh, every six to you know twelve months. That doesn't work really work, and that would not work in our case. So it's you know it's maybe a little luck, a little good fortune that we've been able to keep people in place, and then get to know who we're working with, identify who's a good fit. Hopefully, they feel you know we can we can have that uh, mutual. Uh, decision uh, between the bank and the customer and then grow together. And and I think it's been a good model. Mm -hmm. I'll echo that in uh, within my role being on the front end of um, introducing some of the relationships to Fidelity. I also fancy myself a matchmaker from that aspect Um, and not only getting to know Jeff and his personalities, but the other bankers as well. So being able to kind of assess on the front end where the right fit might might be. Um, um, and I have a lot of fun doing that. In addition, I'll say that Jeff does a really good job of building that trusted relationship with his clients. It's not uncommon for um, Jeff to be invited into um, the strategy planning for his clients, which I think is a really strong testament to um, that level of intimacy that he's able to build. So, Courtney, you're sort of the fiddler on the roof matchmaker Mm -hmm. of the banking industry. Sure am. <laughs> um, you did mention sort of sort of turnover. So if you sw- if you flip the turnover thing back onto the client, what kind of pressures have you seen nowadays for trying to keep people employed 
as what have you seen business owners do from that sort of for, from that now labor pressure that's really come honest uh, honest in this day that is uh probably the number you know uh, that might be a number one challenge and theme that we that we hear every every meeting uh, is is how tight the labor market is across all levels. Um, you know whether it's the production floor all the way to the uh, the administrative staff all the way to you know the, the high end management uh, people at, at these various companies. You know I think. Um, Hey, it's not perfect. There's a lot of pressure on, uh, on, um, um, wages, of course, and other, other, uh, you know, financial motivated measures that one can take. I really feel like the companies that have been able to withstand this the best they can, uh, are those that have really worked hard over years and years to develop a culture where people want to work there. And, uh, you know, I think the culture has been the differentiator. However, that has been chat that's been, you know, stressed here in the last year, year and a half as well. I can think of, uh, actually another EOR, um, who had most of his company company working remotely, you know, at least within the last, you know, before the last few months and had experienced some turnover, a lot more turnover than he'd ever experienced with this, with his employees. And it was, it was really beginning to, to concern him. One of the conclusions was he'd worked so hard to build this culture and this fun place to work and this team environment. And when no one's around together, it really became difficult. That, that became less meaningful. It was just a job again. And he didn't have the, the, the culture and the fun and place to work. So you know, that has been a whole other, you know, reiteration of uh, how important it is, but it was difficult uh, for companies to kind of keep that momentum. So I think the culture has been, you know, if you have a, an empowering culture, attractive place to work, that's probably the, and that takes a lot of time to develop that very easier said than done. You know, that, that probably is the first line of defense. Um, but I think it's going to, Unfortunately, I think it's going to be a continued challenge. It probably is going to get worse as just demographic trends, other things take place here down the line. Yeah. And I think you're right. The companies that were built uh, as all every employee coming in now, suddenly they have to think about how do you put those, how do you connect those people? uh, And especially when we couldn't go into the office or shouldn't go into the office, how do you connect those people and make sure that they're engaged one thing I, we did here is, uh, you know, at four o'clock, there's a standing meeting that, that you can join on Zoom and no, you, you're not supposed to talk about work. And there's one person that always has some trivia. So it's sort of just a time that everybody can talk a little bit about, um, about themselves and, and then answer some trivia questions and maybe show your dog or cat or whatever, whatever it is that, that would make you more than just an end point at a team's call or a Slack message or something like that. I think that's important for, for the culture. And I think Jeff, you brought up a good point there. Um, what are you just talking about trying to connect people? What, what are you seeing from an international standpoint? Uh, are you noticing any trends in e-commerce right now or in commerce in general for international? I, I would say, uh, I think, and this kind of goes back a bit to the 
some of the security and, and, and fraud prevention. I think there's a lot more international components to many companies now, whether it's could be outsourcing of certain services. It could be uh, certainly purchasing materials, products, or selling internationally. So um, there's probably just a um, greater um, frequency of, you know, doing business internationally than there probably was, you know, it probably increases every year. Um, and, uh, you know, it can create other challenges with uh, security, you know, payment processing, securely importing goods um, and dealing with those types of challenges. So, you know, that's just kind of another element of how life seems to get more and more complicated. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's, that's just one other aspect to it. I did. I did. I have a statistics that I want to read here. According to the Association of Financial Professionals, 81% of companies were targets of payment fraud last year. What are you seeing for clients? Uh, what are you seeing clients, your clients doing to help mitigate some of that? Um, as you talked earlier about some fraud prevention. Yeah. I mean, I think the there's usually those are going to be external uh attempts to access in a, you know, a socially engineered email that asks for, Hey, I'm out of town. Can you process this wire kind of thing? I mean, they can be, they, they, they very, really do vary in, in widely in the level of sophistication, but um, uh, you know, those things seemingly are never ending. I think the, the internal process is segregation of duties um, within, within a business is important. Um you know, picking up the, you know, getting to know who you're working with on the other end as well with the best you can. A lot of times that's hard to do when dealing with really large organizations, but knowing who you're working with, knowing who your customers and vendors are the best you can. So you have that, you know, human element as I referenced before, you know, there are certain <clears throat> products and services that banks provide that can address that. And uh, <clears throat> we're really working hard to make sure that we, um, have our best tools at, at our disposal for, um, you know, ensuring certain payments are authorized, that uh, this particular vendor is authorized for a payment to be processed, et cetera, that um, there's security tokens that you see with, with certain products, there's uh, dual authentication, there's products that block only certain types of transactions to occur. Those have really become more and more popular because uh, folks are getting you know, more and more concerned or they've been breached or they've, there's been an attempt or they hear a horror story from someone in their peer group or, or whomever. Um, so I think it's just the discussion's probably been um, when we have our regular connections with our clients and we're talking you know, business and challenges and other things. And then we get, you know, talk about the banking side. Historically, a lot of that would be uh, more on the financing end. There's been a bit of a pivot in which the cash management, the secure payments, the processing of things efficiently and securely, there's more conversations about that now because there's just a lot more instances of, uh, of attempted fraud or actual fraud. And uh, it's, it's just a bigger topic. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I can't I can't tell you how many times I've gotten emails uh, for my non-existent PayPal account that I need to click this link and make sure that it's updated. Or I, I even got a text the other day that said uh, my my package from Amazon has been rejected and click here to update your address or something. I don't know. I, I don't right. I didn't even yep. I don't click on those links and uh, I don't um, I, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm very, uh, I try not to ever click on, <laughs> to click on anything that I get that's just random. Um, but I suppose it's very easy for a lot of clients to fall into that trap, especially if it looks very formal. Um, and you're using, you know, if you're your company's system and you suddenly get an email from somebody that you know, which is a very typical kind of way to get that phishing thing in, Um what, what do you do? What, how do you do, what do you do next if they think they've been compromised? Well, I think, um, um, training, you know, some of it is on the onus of the bank to, and I think we're getting better when, which we're helping train our customers on the front end better. If they're going to adopt a certain, uh, you know, we have some that pay, uh, they want to begin to pay all their vendors via AC, like an electronic payment uh, versus check, for example, and they got to obtain a bunch of payment information, et cetera. Uh, you know, there, there was one, you know, troubling instance in which oh, an account was beginning to do that. And uh, something got intercepted from some, uh, you know, some hacker, if you will, that was probably in their system for a long time and then identified an opportunity to pounce and created a very sophisticated um, email chain, had a form letter from another bank, et cetera, that, hey, here's our payment processing information as you begin to make this transition. And it turns out it was fraudulent. And a lot of bad things happened that went the wrong direction, you know, that a lot of bad things and circumstances and dominoes fell, unfortunately, uh, in which there was uh, not a, you know, a, a death blow of a dollar amount, but enough to certainly aggravate everybody. And we were able to claw some of it back. But in that case, it's really, hey, work with your IT, manage IT services, et cetera. You got, you really have to invest in that and have things as locked down the best you can. It's never going to be airtight. Insurance is another big one. Um, and this is if it happens, of course, and there's a loss. Um, it, you know, is there an insurance claim? There are cyber insurance and other things that can be helpful to help uh, with, with a claim if, if you are in fact um, harmed. And then, hey, you got to get, hey, work with the bank, lean on your bank, lean on your experts at the bank, uh, and, and brainstorm best practices. You don't want things to cease to a halt. You still got to, you still need to conduct your day-to-day -day business. However, there are tools, there are, you know, there are outsourced or outside resources that can help. Hey, it, it's a dangerous place, but we can run it the best we can. And I think, uh, you know, that's, uh, if you're doing that, you're probably well ahead of a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Courtney, what what do you say? So, are you, I'm assuming you're kind of dealing with the people that are coming to you in the beginning. How this is going to sound kind of weird, but how do you make it more fun for the people to? I mean, you don't want banking to just to be a black and white black and white <laughs> environment. How do you make it a little bit more fun and and 
appealing to come to a bank? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, that's a great question. I actually think that we are able to um, not only leverage the people at the bank to um, paint the picture of, of what a relationship with Fidelity looks like, but we're also able to leverage our um, activity and involvement in the community, whether it's with other business associations, chambers, industry associations, and show our engagement on different levels from that standpoint um, to not only bring new information or content to our clients or prospective clients, uh, but to also share our expertise from that standpoint. And I think um, 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 you won't you won't just see Jeff and the rest of the team right there behind their desk. I mean, you see them right there right now, but um, that's not where he is all the time. Uh, we're we're out in the community. We're um, positioning ourselves as sub subject matter experts on a variety of different topics. And um, yeah, that's that's one way. That's one way I think we're able to really leverage it. Yeah, good. Um, I, so I, I know that you had mentioned earlier about um, about peer groups, and and Jeff had mentioned about um, about how you learn about something. And I think that what we've done a lot, and you mentioned insurance, um, what we've done, and I'm in a peer group, and so I can say that we typically go around and talk maybe once a quarter. Hey, let's everybody bring their insurance in, and how much are you paying, and what are you paying for, and that doesn't necessarily just mean business insurance, but maybe your auto insurance as well. Or, you know, I think as a group, uh, we don't just focus only on business. Sometimes we focus on some personal topics or family topics. Um, I think that just to pitch EO for a minute here, <laughs> um, that, 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 that can set you into a motion that helps you go to the next place where, Hey, I've never actually thought about, I need this type of insurance. And there's a person in another industry that has the same insurance. Um, maybe I need that. So I think that you as the bank and Courtney, you'd mentioned it very well that being subject matter experts in certain areas, you're sort of a spoke, like you're the center of the wheel of all the spokes and everybody's coming to you and that you're getting little, little bits of information from that um, and then helping the clients solve some of those needs. Um, and I'll just throw out an opinion question. Um, I, I, I think that you would do that better than somebody at a larger bank. Maybe not. I don't know. That's just my opinion. <laughs> um, what, so we've been talking a little bit about international and, and pressures on labor. Um, how about supply chain? Um, I think that we've seen, uh, you know, I, I'm in a, like, I, again, I'm in a little, I'm in a forum and entrepreneurs group here that, one of our one of our members said that they're having problems getting a particular piece for his manufactured product, and he has to source it somewhere else. Have you seen that come up quite a bit now? That's def absolutely. So if if the labor is one uh, A, the the supply chain is you know one A subsection you know I or whatever. It, it is. Uh, uh, it's it's impacts more industries than one would have ever 
thought, you know, I mean, you have a meeting or a discussion with someone and, and they explain uh, some, some stress they've had on, on their uh, supply chain. And it's just like, you know, it's almost, you can't believe it. You know, it's just so wide ranging among so many industries, whether it's high tech, uh, uh, materials for certain type of piping and the plumbing or HVAC industry, you know, there's a lot of impacts that carry this, you know, over, there's still a lot of industries that are suffering uh, from when, when there was the, the freezing and storms in Texas last year that impacted a bunch of industries that create certain things. You know, it's been a perfect storm of many things over the last year and a half that have created all these issues. Um, and it's hard to, pick one why you know what what's really been the root cause i think it really does vary across the board but it is unbelievable it's a it's a it's an it's really been an unfortunate but very interesting development this today at a lunch i was talking to an individual they're in kind of a high-tech battery type industry so you know kind of a cool cool area high growth and he said really the growth this year is going to be contingent upon chips and shipping is how he described it so not chips and salsa anymore, chips and, and shipping, because we all hear the issues with uh, in the chip industry and that, uh, you know, particularly with the auto industry, for example, where there's tens of thousands of Ford F-150s that are just sitting in fields and, you know, throughout the country because they don't have the chip yet that they need. Um, and in this case, likewise, the shipping and the costs and the timing for the containers to be uh, to, to move from overseas, uh, in which they were expecting a container in April and it just showed up and the cost for that skyrocketing. So I think everyone's a bit in an unchartered territory, how to manage through these things. A lot of folks as a result have been, ha have been forced to carry higher inventory levels. And this would be, um, you know, the bank has been hounding them for years to keep their inventory low and to have this just-in-time inventory model. Well, if it doesn't work, that it's, it's shifted, at least for the time being, keeping more stock, more raw materials, more components, more electrical components, whatever that may be uh, uh, for their business because they have to. So as a result, the inventory levels for a lot of companies, they've been forced to carry more just so they can execute sales. Uh, otherwise, they're going to they're going to have delayed or, or they're going to disappoint their customers. Um, definitely huge. Hey, it's really a big problem for, for the country as a whole, the supply chain issues. And how, how do you communicate that? I mean, I, you probably share in that frustration with the client and you work with them uh, on a, on a basis in which you can kind of help them through some of that. And I don't want to say share the pain with them, but be at least be be understanding of hey, this is the way it is, and uh, or they 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 say this is the way it is, and what how can we get how can we get through this? Well, we've had to have um, hey, perhaps we'd had to accommodate for some additional inventory financing or flexibility with uh, some of their financing to to accommodate their how their balance sheets changed. Um, Hey, try to make recommendations for diversifying certain supply suppliers if they can. Um, and uh, hey, a lot of times we're kind of uh, hey, we're kind of the shoulder to, to cry on in some respect. But the um, hey, I think it's an acknowledgement and an understanding, and to get out ahead and try to plan the best the best one can. I think this also allows us 
um, to, to reiterate with, with, with certain clients, the requirement for financial, good financial information and the ability to forecast financial information, particularly cash flow needs and other things, given that it's a whole different environment right now. And it isn't like everything is going to be just in time from an inventory in a, in a vendor uh, relations type uh, perspective. So, um, you know, encouraging them to have better financials, better, better, better financial reporting, better ability or work with experts to, to project what their liquidity looks like and then accommodate where appropriate for differences to their balance sheet, because it's, it's a lot of them. It's been a big shift. Yeah. And I, I can, I can speak from personal, from, uh, from, from, from my own personal experience that having those cash flow, those cash flow forecasts, uh, as a business owner, there's your cash in the bank and then your, your AR, which some people have uh, accounts receivable, some people don't. Um, and those two things, if your AR is really high and you're not really paying attention to that, it, it, is, it seems as though you're losing money because you don't have enough cash to operate. Um, and it's important as a entrepreneur or as a small business owner to start thinking about what does that mean for me in three months? And what does that mean if my AR doesn't get paid quickly? How maybe you could speak to a little bit about how you help with that side of the business when the AR is 30 days, sometimes 90 days. And honestly, with some of these larger companies that we've seen, some of them demand, oh, you know, we wanted 90, we want 120 days now. Right. Yeah. I mean, the big bully can kind of push and dictate some of those payment terms, unfortunately. So in that case, you know, there's been, there can be exceptions to uh, our ability to lend on certain types of receivables if they are aged out, because just that's just how it's going to be because you're dealing with some big, huge international organization and it's not as though they can't pay, but they're just going to be slow. Um, you know, the kind of the rule of thumb, the 13 week rolling cash flow is one you hear in the industry a lot. And that's to your point. It really would help an owner see where, hey, it's going to get tight. I feel I'm good today. But like you said, in, a, in 60 days, based on this confluence of events with certain payments, certain sales levels, uh, material, uh, my, my terms with my vendors, uh, that I, I can see an issue coming and you can plan accordingly and get out in front of it where there's more of a proactive approach with your banker or your lender or whom to, to get out in front of that. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It's just, Hey, this is, I may, they may have short-term borrowing needs as a result and we need to get out in front of it and plan accordingly and provide flexibility so they can execute and, and it isn't going to disrupt things from their access to capital and their liquidity. So um, you know, I think those can get very complicated or as granular as you want, but you can also keep them very simple. So we've helped clients with basic models or made introductions to folks that can help them. Or, uh, you know, I think it's more of a, uh, it's, it's more of a idea to be a proactive versus a reactive situation. And if you wait, hey, no one wants the, the fire drill kind of. 
situation. Yeah, and I'll comment on proactive. And again, speaking from experience, uh, as as an EO, we don't give advice; we give ex- we we experience share relative experience. Um, yes, yes, relative yeah. experience. Yeah, um, having so you know going back to your having a great accountant and having a, a CPA that works with you and then helps plan out that quarter that that six months and that one year period to help you understand where you're at and where you're at in that time. And then also that will help you paint, not, not a paint a story. I don't want to say paint a story, but tell your banker, this is, this is what our industry does. Here's our historic averages. And here's what we're expecting in the next three months, six months, one year. I'm sure that you were, you, you would be, you're very appreciative when the client knows as much as you know about their balance sheet and their and their PL statement, um, it probably gives them a little bit more credibility than if you were to say, well, I can see here clearly that in quarter two, every single year you run out of cash, you know, maybe we should think about or you should think about how are you going to mitigate that by maybe pooling some cash in the in quarter four to make sure that we don't burn all through all that cash by quarter two, something like that. Definitely. I think the grasp of the balance sheet and the cash flow situation by a owner or a man that really that's a good the credibility term is is spot on no question about it um i know that we've seen a ton of automation in our business because you know because of lack of people but just you know where i'm in the technology field so automation is everybody tries to automate everything including ai um what does that mean? What does automation mean for, for you in banking and how does that help clients? Well, I think, um, you know, with our clients specifically, a lot of the, a lot of the financing requests, think of, think of capital, capital investment in a business in recent years, uh, even again, even before the last year and a half, a lot of the um, big capital investments have been so companies can be more efficient and maybe consolidate those three pieces of equipment into one more efficient piece of equipment. And as a result, the retired press operator on, you know, machine number two, um, who's going to retire, you know, because there's a lack of skilled labor or a shortage, they're able to utilize uh, technology and automation to run their company more efficiently because they have to, because they just simply don't have the skilled labor, et cetera, around that. So a lot of the financing requests have been more on an automation perspective, whether it's in the shipping facility or uh, uh, logistics uh, or, or actual manufacturing or just technology for a service business. It could be, it could run the gamut. And then likewise, you know, from a banking perspective, we've had to make sure we have tools where we can help uh, back to my efficiency comments from before, where we can help automate systems internally for companies so they can be more efficient because they want to run as lean and mean as they can. Again, we got to make sure it's secure and we're doing it right. But uh, to, you know, we've got to live up to that as well to help them out and be more efficient. But really the automation is more, it's it's a necessity for certain industries because, of uh, all of these things we've been talking about. And they've got to they, they've got to make investments in the company to be more efficient. And a lot of times that's been on the automation front. 
Well, we have about five, 10 minutes left here. Um, if, if you just as a, as, as entrepreneurs coming to your bank, what, what sort of advice would you give them or what, what is a nugget of, of advice? And I know we're supposed to give advice, but in this case, you're going to give advice. So sorry. Um, no, (laughs) um, what, what would you give them or tell somebody that that would be a benefit to a small business owner and Courtney, why don't you start? Uh, you know, I, from my experience and what I've seen so far is that I wouldn't be, um, uh, I'd be open-minded. I'd be open to the suggestions, but I also would be, um, I don't want to say that, uh, uh, they're, they keep their cards close to the vest by any means, but if you can tell your story to us and if you can share even maybe the maybe the not so great, uh, we can find ways to work through um, some of the challenges that entrepreneurs experience in their business. So I think being open-minded and open to sharing um, um, as you're building this relationship is really valuable. Yeah, I think the most successful uh, companies we've dealt with, they really, um, they have a grasp on where do they really succeed or where do they really make their money, you know? And, you know, there's a lot of times where we'd have questions for uh, business owners. Hey, you know, do you have a true idea of what your costs are in this particular segment of your business? And they, they think they do, but you know, they, when they, when you really begin to dig down deeper, they don't. And, uh, you know, over the last year plus, you know, there's been kind of a flushing, the probably requirement or necessity for a lot of companies where there might've been a less profitable area of the business that they perhaps discontinued or had to reposition or re retool a particular area of the business with, as there was an acknowledgement, really, Hey, are we really as profitable in this particular portion of the business as we thought we were? So I think a grasp of where you really make your money and that seems kind of common sense, but it's can be very difficult. And uh, um, so my advice would be hone in on what you're good at, identify where you really succeed and it isn't necessarily being the biggest, but really, you know, that's almost the, the mentality at the bank. You don't necessarily want to be the biggest bank, wouldn't be the best bank uh, or the best performing bank or the leader in our particular area. So um, I think, hey, I know your costs, know where you make your money and really focus on that at the best you can dominate a certain area or a certain niche in an industry versus trying to be everything and the biggest. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll kind of, uh, um, piggyback off that, that part of the part of being into this, in this, in a peer group is that you do start asking those questions. And, and even in that came up the whole PPP thing and, and suddenly, Hey, who is doing P and who's our best, who can t- explain it to us the best and who as, as knowledge goes and who's going to give us some time and, and all those things, I think, you know, having that relationship um, with the right person at, at a bank at the time, you know, certainly that helped us as a company, um, and it would help, you know, behoove anybody to to start start building those relationships and and um, 
and and seeking out and asking questions, I think, is, a, is another really good thing to do. And as Jeff said, asking asking questions of your of your PNL and and then working with your banker even to figure out um, maybe this isn't the best place that we're going to be and and how can you help us grow into the next great place because suddenly we see this new section really growing fast. Um, all right, so we have we we don't have much time left at all. But so as we finish up today, um, I always give everybody a chance to do a shameless plug about anything you'd like to give a shameless plug about. So Courtney, why don't you start? You know, I've been contemplating this question, Brent, <laughs> and so I decided to give a shameless plug to anybody who hasn't had the opportunity yet to watch Ted Lasso on Apple TV to watch Ted Lasso because it is it is. worth it. And I absolutely love Ted Lasso. I wish I want to be Ted Lasso. Yes. Yes. It's just, you, you, you want a Ted Lasso in your corner. So maybe that's what EO does for us, right? Yeah. Bring bring, uh, bring cookies every day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Homemade cookies. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, Jeff, you got to top that one. Yeah. I haven't. I'm like 12, 15 years behind on television. I'm not even remotely close to <laughs> catching up to the Ted Lasso. But, uh, um, you know, I guess I'll, I'll keep it very vanilla as the as the banker uh, with the, you know, starch. Co- no, it isn't starch. But, hey, uh, I think uh, the, sh- the shameless plug would be um, get to know your banker. Uh, whether it's at Fidelity Bank or anywhere else. And uh, it's an important uh, arrow in the quiver for any business owner to have a resource and a, and a, and a connection with your banker. So uh, it's, it's a very important, uh, it's worth the time and effort and, uh, and, and find one that's uh, going to be uh, a, not only a good service responsive person, but a, that's someone that's willing to challenge you as well. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll, I'll reiterate that it, it's such an important part of your business as a pillar to have a great bank to work with uh, whatever country you're in. And there will be people all over the world listening to this. So uh, I would encourage everybody when they move to Minnesota, because everybody is right now moving to Minneapolis. It's the hip place to be mm-hmm. at the look up fidelity bank. And, um, and uh, uh We'll be ready. Grow your business. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Well, this has been a great hour. Thank you, uh, Jeff and Courtney. And we'll put some show notes out there. uh, If there's any links that we'll we'll publish those as well. Uh, Thank you again for your time today. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in person soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Brent. Thank you, Brent. Bye. The Talk Commerce Podcast is sponsored by Swift Daughter. E-commerce developers solve problems daily. In fact, some of those seem like mountainous hurdles that must be climbed in a matter of hours. Stress levels can go through the roof. No wonder the plague of burnout affects developers too. Ah, but there's a vaccine for that. Investing time in your career will take you farther than you ever imagined. Meet Swift Otter. Swift Otter exists to help you become the e-commerce hero that is indispensable and irreplaceable at your company. We do this through Magento Certification Study Materials and Joseph Maxwell's most recent book, 
the art of e-commerce debugging. Go to swiftotter.com to learn more about how you can quickly climb the ranks in your quest to be a better developer. While you're there, use the coupon code TALKCOMMERCE for 15% off any digital goods at swiftotter.com. Thank you again for listening. My name is Brent Peterson, and it has been my pleasure to be your host today. Please rate and subscribe to Talk Commerce, new shows out every week.